We got that groove going this morning. All right, good to see everybody. Uh, Nueva Vida, Pastor, Pastor Ana, thank you for being with us this morning. Can we give it up for Nueva Vida one more time this morning? The one thing also I wanted to add to what Pastor Collins said about kids' ministry. Um, thank you, you know, those of you that are already feeling the tug of the Spirit to be part of our kids' ministry um, in preparation for Easter. We're grateful for that. The plan is that with the volunteers that we recruit through this process, that we'll be able to launch full kids' ministry for the 11 a.m. service as well the week after Easter. So that'll set us up to be full ministry for both services heading into the summer. So we would really appreciate it if you just... Uh, Listen to the Lord who's telling you to actually sign up for children's ministry. Okay, there we go. Would we, you stand one more time this morning? And um, this actually won't be the last time that I ask you to stand again. So there will be multiple times, you know, leadership failures here. By the way, I do need to, before we get started, I need to apologize. Those of you that were here for the first part of the service, my call to worship where I blamed you for not doing a good job at like really going for it on that one slide. I get done and Mandy goes, well, that's because you didn't say the last word on your part of the thing. How many of you can bear with you saw that? Did you get, okay. It's my bad. It's my bad. I'm owning that. Okay. So most merciful people of New Life East, I confess I've sinned against you by what I've done and what I didn't do in that case. So you see the prayer of repentance encompasses the whole thing. Okay. Let's declare our faith together. I'm going to try not to mess this up, but if I do, I know that you're just going to, you're going to get it done guys. Here we go. We believe in one God. The Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church, we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And all God's people in the house and online said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Working through a series on the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. And next up is Habakkuk. And as we've been learning, I think that you've been learning a little bit of biblical history here. So just to catch you up a little bit. 722 BC, the Assyrian army comes in, invades the northern land of Israel, conquers it, hauls its people off into exile, and the Assyrian Empire was one of the most brutal empires that the world had ever seen. And they reigned with an iron fist up there in that northern land of Israel and really across that whole region uh, for about 100 years or so. And as we learned last week, in 612 BC, a coalition of forces invaded the capital city 
of Assyria, Nineveh, conquering Nineveh, killing the king, and with that the Assyrian Empire fell, which to the people of God at that time, Nahum was prophesying to them, that was really, really good news. Assyria is gone, yay. But as we know, when one empire falls, what happens? Another one rises up in its place, and all of a sudden, by the time you get to kind of that 600 mark there BC, all of a sudden the Babylonian Empire now is starting to look really powerful and really strong. And so in the place of the Assyrian Empire, now we have another brutal regime up there, and that's the Babylonian Empire. And as we learned last week, one of the things that happens in the southern kingdom of Judah during this time, 622 BC, is that you have the advent of young King Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he took over the kingship, and he really had a heart for the Lord. And so he instituted a lot of reforms in Judah. There was something of a revival kind of broke out. And yet, what we learn as we look at history is that the patterns of idolatry in Judah were really, really difficult to break. And even though there's this revival that's happening in Judah, yet those old patterns of idolatry, they still remained. And that's the very thing that Habakkuk is struggling with here in his book. His name is an interesting name. Uh, scholars have different opinions kind of on what, um, what it means or where it comes from. But for the most part, they agree that his name is probably related to a Hebrew word that means to embrace. Everybody say to embrace which is telling because what is going to happen in the book of Habakkuk is that he's going to learn to embrace the work of God even when it really doesn't make sense to him. And that's a call for us too in this moment, isn't it? Let's lift up our hearts to the Lord here. We say, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. We say, Father, actually, as Jesus taught us to pray the first prayer the first line of the first prayer is hallowed be your name. And so we pray for a hallowing of the divine name in the midst of the people of God this morning. And we ask that as the name is hallowed, that the kingdom would come, that the will would be done here in this place in our lives, just like it is done in heaven. We say this morning, give us today the bread that we need for today. We're not asking for bread for tomorrow. We know that you're going to show up tomorrow with tomorrow's bread. Today, what we need is daily bread, this bread, the bread for Sunday morning. Give us today our daily bread. We say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Cleanse us of sin this morning. And lead us not into temptation. All of the places where the evil one has laid traps for us and is trying to lure us into lies and darkness and shadowy places, we say, lead us not into those places, but deliver us from the power of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. And we pray that all of those prayers that are collected in that prayer, that they would be true in this moment, that they would come to pass in the preaching of the word and in the encounter that we have with you at the table in just a few moments here. So we say, Lord Jesus Christ, great preacher, preach to us this morning. Speak to us this morning. Teach us this morning. Help us become more fully your people. All of these things we're asking. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth here in the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Habakkuk 1 and verse 1, the prophecy that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Or cry out violence, but you don't save? Why do you make me look on injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abound. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is 
perverted. There's an encouraging text for you this morning. The word of the Lord and all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Habakkuk is looking around at the situation of the people of God, and he says that the law uh, is paralyzed and justice never prevails. So here we are, just on the other side of the reforms of young King Josiah, and even though things got better for a second, all of a sudden they've lurched back into idolatry and injustice and wickedness and all the wrong things. And, and, and Habakkuk has such an interesting perspective. He says that the law is paralyzed. I love that phrase. That the law, which was supposed to be a life-giving um, uh, um, really a force in the, among the people of God to lead them into justice. The law is paralyzed and justice doesn't prevail. And so just like the psalmists so many times did, if you've read the Psalms, yeah, you've probably, uh, you recognize here that Habakkuk's language really mirrors the language of the psalmist. The psalmists are always saying to the Lord in a time when it doesn't seem like God is moving, the psalmist will always say, how long, O Lord, will it be? Like, this belongs to you, we belong to you, your people belong to you. This is, so what are you doing, God, right? So Habakkuk, in keeping with the way that the psalmists talk, he lifts his voice up to the Lord in the middle of this situation of injustice, and he says, how long, O Lord? Now, there's a difference here uh, with what Habakkuk experiences to what the psalmists experience. Normally, the psalmists will lift up their voice to the Lord, how long, O Lord? And then they, they just kind of have to wrestle with their own unknowing. But in this case... Habakkuk actually gets answered by the Lord, which is amazing. How many of you, you just wouldn't you'd give your right arm to have God just answer you, you know, in a moment when you're saying how long, oh Lord, unless your right arm is the thing that you're praying about, then you wouldn't, you, you just, <laughs> stupid jokes. Don't do that, Andrew. It's very distracting. But Habakkuk <laughs> gets an answer. Look down at verse five. Here's what the Lord says. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told, but the Lord is going to tell him, and I'm raising up the Babylonians. What? Okay. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law unto themselves. They promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dust. Their cavalry uh, gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly down like an eagle, sweeping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert. Win and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. And they laugh at fortified cities, building earthen ramps. They capture them. Then they sweep on the wind and they go on guilty people whose strength is their own God. Thank you. I appreciate that. Somebody asked me one time, he goes, do you ever think about being a rapper? You know, the way that the words come out of your mouth is a spiritual gift. I don't know. Habakkuk is complaining about Andrew's in a weird mood this morning. Pray for him, family. <laughs> Habakkuk is complaining about this little local thing happening in Judah. He said, God, what are you going to do about this? And the Lord pulls back the curtain of history. And what does he say? Well, why don't you turn your eyes to the north? You see that big, ugly army up there? The Babylonians? Awful, terrible. Well, they're about to explode upon this whole region and they're going to wipe Judah off the map. Say what? You know what I mean? I mean, like, this is not the answer <laughs> that Habakkuk wanted. Uh, uh, could think about it. You know, this is what this is like. This is like a few months ago, Mandy and I had a leaky toilet upstairs in our house. And so we called the plumber, just water kind of sitting around the toilet. We called the plumber. Plumber comes. And you know what the plumber did? He got in there. He was like surgically precise with what he did. You know, fix some screws or some gaskets or I don't know. 
But he did something, a little specific, you know, fix the toilet. What would it have been like? You know, we called the plumber over, the plumber takes one look at the toilet and he goes, you know, it's, it's got to come out. He goes, well, what's got to come out? The toilet? No. The bathroom? No. The house. The house has got to come out. The whole thing has got to come out. You know, you feel like this is a little extreme, Lord. Like normally your justice really is surgically precise, but we're complaining about a hangnail here, and you're prescribing that our arm get amputated. How <laughs> is this fixing the problem? And so Habakkuk lifts his voice back up to the Lord, now in verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you won't die. Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. But your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You made the people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. And the wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. In other words, uh, these Babylonians are not discriminating between righteous people and wicked people. And if you're using them, that means that on some level, you're not really discriminating between righteous people and wicked People is what he's saying. The wicked foe pulls them up with that. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in the dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. And therefore he sacrifices now to his net. And he burns incense to his stupid dragnet. Like these people are like, I'm complaining to you about idolatry. And these are the consummate idolaters. How does it make sense that you're using them to discipline us? He sacrifices to the net, burns incense to the dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I'm going to stand... At my watch, Habakkuk says, and station myself on the ramparts, I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. So Habakkuk now comes back to the Lord and says, Lord, I've complained about this small injustice. You've now shown me that you're about to solve the small injustice with a large injustice. So I'm setting before you the question mark that at the very least, Lord, would you consider that maybe this is an overreaction? I don't understand what you're doing here. So what are you going to say to that? And don't you love this about our God? That he actually responds back to Habakkuk. God doesn't fold his arms and walk away in kind of a huff and go, I can't, but who are you questioning me? God doesn't do that. But God indulges Habakkuk because he wants to bring Habakkuk as he wants to bring us along for the journey of what he's doing in the world. Look down at verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation waits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See this enemy over here, the Babylonian army? His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by what? By his faithfulness or his faith, that the just will live by faith. In other words, what the Lord is saying to Habakkuk is, I know that this doesn't make any sense to you, but if you want to know how you're going to survive the coming calamity, you'll do it in one way and one way alone. You're going to hang on by your faith or by your faithfulness. You're not going to surrender your allegiance to me. Hold on to me, okay, and I'll see you through this thing. Faithfulness, I want to say to you this morning, allows us to embrace, this I think is what Habakkuk is teaching us, faithfulness allows us to embrace the mysterious work of God, even and especially when we don't understand it. Which, by the way, is 99.99999% of the time. So this is a timely word for us. 
when we don't understand it without losing our balance. That we find a way to maintain our equilibrium inside of the work of God when the work of God is confusing. And most of the time, I would contend, I've walked with the Lord for most of my life, most of the time, it is very confusing. Now, I'm born and raised in the Pentecostal charismatic world, uh, and I love the way that we tend to look at the world. I went off when I was 18 years old, I went off to Oral Roberts University, um, founded by the great uh, healing evangelist, Oral Roberts, gifted healer, amazing evangelist, amazing man. And one of the things that Oral would always say as a way of kind of highlighting the distinctions that he was trying to make in his theology is that God is a good God, and if you know it, maybe say it with me, and the devil is a bad devil. God is a good God, and the devil is a bad devil. It was Oral's way of kind of dicing up what was happening on planet Earth, that God is out to do good things on planet Earth. Can I get an amen from somebody? And the devil is out to do bad things on planet Earth. And that's a distinction that even Jesus makes. The thief comes to and kill and but I have come that they would have life and have it abundantly or to the full that God is responsible for the giving of life in the world and the devil is responsible for the taking of life in the world and I think that that's a right way to look at the world and yet if we're not careful what we'll do then is we'll divide up what happens in human history to the good stuff is what God is doing and the bad stuff is the stuff that only the devil is involved in and God really has nothing to do with that, okay? And when we read the scriptures, what we discover is that there's a much more nuanced perspective on the unfolding of history than just going good things is God's work and bad things is the devil's work and that's it. It's more nuanced, it's more layered, it's more complex than that. One of the great examples I think of this in the scriptural record, this is from the Old Testament, it comes from uh, the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 24 and verse 1. David is coming to the end of his reign. He's gotten comfortable. He's conquered lots of lands and territories. And the scripture says that again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And what? He incited David against them saying, go and take a census of Israel and Judah. Now that doesn't sound like an evil thing to us. It's an evil thing in the sight of God because what, it, what David is doing is he's calculating human strength. Okay? And God doesn't want us to calculate human strength. He wants us to rely on him. But God, I think, must have known that there was this kind of hubris, this pride that was going on in David's heart. And so what the Lord does is he instigates David to make a decision that actually draws some of that out into the open. So it's not just that God is kind of only doing the good things in Israel. God is also doing this thing that at least is complex, okay? And it results in a bad few days for Israel. As you read the story, uh, there's three days of plague that breaks out in Israel. And uh, it's this whole thing. You can read about it yourself. But it's not just as simple as saying that God only does the good things in Israel and somebody else does the bad things. Here is God instigating David to do something that's at least morally ambiguous for the purpose of disciplining David. It's the Bible. We have to wrestle with it. Now that already complexifies the issue a little bit, doesn't it? But then what further complexifies it is that in 2 Chronicles, the same story is told. But look at how the chronicler tells the story. Uh, 1 Chronicles, rather, chapter 21. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. 
Okay, so y'all need to get together in a room and figure out who did what here. <laughs> right? It's layered. It's complex. Uh, how you talk about that and how you dice that up, that's, that's good coffee you know, shop conversation or living room conversation. That it seems as though maybe if I was to try to put a Andrew's take on it, I think that what happens is the Lord is, knows that something needs to get flushed out of David. So the Lord removes his hand for a moment from David and allows Satan to do something that causes this thing to happen. And my point is that it's complex. Can I get an amen in the house? And faith acknowledges the complexity of how God works in the world. We know that it is true that God is a good God. And we also know that he's working inside of circumstances that are less than optimal to bring about his good purposes. By the way, everything that happens in human history is less than optimal. (laughs) Since the fall, everything falls underneath that category, which means that if God is to do anything at all in the world, he has to work with suboptimal circumstances. This is just what faith acknowledges. Think about the great argument of Paul in Romans 9 through 11 when he's dealing with the election of Israel And yet Israel falls away from the Lord, but the falling away of Israel from the Lord brings about the Gentiles. But then what is the Lord going to do with Israel? Paul makes this incredible spinning, circular, spiral-shaped argument in which he starts his sense of the providence and the goodness of God starts fanning further and further outward where he says that because of the fall of Israel, uh, the Gentiles have been brought in, but they've been brought in in order to provoke Israel to jealousy. And so one day all Israel is going to be saved and one day the Gentiles are all going to come in. And somehow you sense that as you're reading the chapters, Romans 9 through 11, that Paul's mind is starting to stagger and reel. He can't keep his mind around this incredible work of God. And so finally he says in Romans chapter 11 and verse 33, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths are what? What does that mean? That no matter how hard you try, you will never be able to wrap your mind completely around the work of God. It just isn't possible. Unsearchable is judgments. Paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? That's a rhetorical question. And the answer to that question is not me, this guy. Nobody knows his judgments. Nobody's known the mind. Nobody's been his counselor who has ever given to God that God should repay them. God doesn't owe us anything, but from him, Paul says, and and through him and for him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. In other words, no matter what happens in human history, all of it somehow comes from his gracious hand, is sustained by his gracious hand, and will be offered back up to him as praise. That is the confidence of faith. Brothers and sisters, I am here to say to you this morning that God's ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. Is that a comfort to you? It should be. It should be. Because too often what happens in our faith is that we simplify everything into a kind of calculus that makes sense to us and we exclude the great wonder of God's goodness as it carries us through history. I remember sitting with a friend of mine, a guy at the church actually in my office a few years ago, frustrated, struggling, 
with what God was up to in his life and kind of where his life was at. And several years prior, he had felt a strong prompting from the Lord, or at least what felt like a prompting from the Lord, to move across the country, to be closer to some of his family members. He had some pretty significant brokenness in his family. Yet he just thought that for sure, this is a leading from the Lord. So I'm going to pack up the moving truck. I'm going to head across the country. And my presence with my family, I think, is going to be part of God's redemptive plan for my family. It's going to put things back together. Again, he said, so I did it. Quit my job, left my life here behind, packed up the moving truck, moved across the country to be with my family. And I said, well, how did that go? And he said, well, it was a couple of the hardest years of my life. In fact, it seemed like the moment I got there, the stuff that was going on in my family, it didn't get better, it got worse. And everything kind of started falling apart. And, but I knew that God had called me out there. And so I stayed in it with the Lord and muscling through with my faith and all that stuff. He said, but the situation just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And eventually I just had to admit defeat and pack up my moving truck once more and move back to Colorado Springs here. And I can't figure out who failed in this equation. You know what I mean? He goes like, so what I'm trying to wrap my mind around here is like, did I misunderstand what God was saying to me? You know, like maybe I misheard the Lord. Maybe I wasn't supposed to move across the country. Maybe I was supposed to stay here. Maybe I should have moved. Maybe if my family is so toxic, maybe I should have moved the other direction. Maybe the Lord was telling me to move, but I, you know, I should have gone 180 degrees. You know, what does God tell? Or, so did I fail in the process? Or, or did God fail in the process? Because that's kind of how I feel in this moment. I feel like I did something that the Lord was asking me to do and I thought that his goodness was going to meet me every step of the way and instead it seemed like the moment I got there his goodness kind of bailed out on me. And so I don't know, did I fail or did God fail? And I remember sitting with him in my office saying to him, bro, maybe, maybe you've got this set up in an equation that's theologically invalid. Because what you're doing here, sitting from your lofty all-knowing perch, is you're leveling judgment on the situation based on all that you know of the situation in the very moment in time at which you can look at it. Did you fail? Did God fail? Maybe what you're forgetting to take account of here is the element of time. Maybe God's way of working out his purposes in your family actually involves you obeying God and moving across the country and everything looking like it's failing. I'm not really resonating with anybody in the house this morning, huh? But it's true. Somehow what we've been conditioned to think is that when we follow the leading of the Lord, that means that if we do it genuinely, everything's going to work out and be amazing. Have you read the Bible? <laughs> Most of the time, when people decide to follow the Lord, it doesn't make things simpler, it makes them more complex. <laughs> It leads them into difficult spaces and fraught spaces and places where it feels like everything is falling apart because the purposes of God are long and slow in coming to fruition, but baby, they're coming to fruition. And we cannot judge what's happening in history just by the small sliver of time that we have a perspective on it. And so I said to him, maybe God hasn't bailed out on his promises. Maybe what's happening with your family and all the chaos of it is actually God working out his specific purpose for every member of your family and for you in a way that you cannot now see. So stop judging it and start believing again in the promise of God. Brothers and sisters, we are Christians, may I remind you. 
which means that we believe in something called the providence of God. And Christians dice that up in different ways, but at its root, it's a conviction that God is not just carrying all of history, but he's carrying every element of history to a good conclusion. The theologian John Webster puts it this way when he says that our faith is faith in the omnipresence of God to whom all occasions, everybody say all occasions, to whom all occasions are seasons of mercy. And faith in providence is the knowledge of what will be true on all occasions, namely that without knowing our future course. In other words, even though we don't know our future course, God orders our time. Do you believe that? This is, the, this is the confession. This is the testimony of Scripture. That even though we cannot see and we do not know what is coming, God is ordering our course. And God's purposes for us have never been anything less than completely good every day, every moment of our lives. The 18th century English poet William Cowper put it this way. One of the most beautiful hymns, poems the church has ever seen. He wrote this. I want you to open your heart and just receive this. Take this into your spirit. Think about, because I know that every single one of you in this room is holding some complexity before the Lord, some place, some space of going, how long, O Lord? And you're doing what, O God? Listen to how Cowper puts it. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and he rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. For behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. But God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Guys, who is the Lord of history? That is the question that Habakkuk throws at us. Who is the Lord of history and what are his plans for us? Jeremiah said it so well. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have. Plans to and not to. Plans to give you and a future. That's our God. And it doesn't matter what's happening on the surface and it doesn't matter how bleak things seem in our lives, God is carrying our lives to a good conclusion. And Habakkuk knows this, which is why he says, Habakkuk 2.14, that one day, this is where we're headed, the end of history, one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 16, he believes all of these things. And he says this, that I heard and my heart pounded, My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. And yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation that's invading us. And though the fig tree does not bud, 
and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. For the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And then Habakkuk closes by saying, uh, all of this, by the way, is for the director of music on my stringed instruments. It was like, somebody out of this thing make a song, would you please? (laughs) Guys, our lives belong to God. Every element of it. All of the heartbreak, all of the ache, all of the unknowing, all of the pain, all of the agony, all of the confusion, none of it has escaped God's notice. And his goodness is saturating our lives down to the very roots of our lives. And he's carrying them to a good conclusion. Julian of Norwich in the 14th century said this is, she had this vision of the love of God that encompassed all things, which led her to say that one day all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And we don't know how God is going to take us there, but we know that he's going to take us there. And he's giving us strength and power even in this moment to stay in the story with him. And do you know how I know that? Because Jesus took a body and Jesus also stared into the inscrutable will of God when he did not know what was happening and in fact, wildly objected to it. Father, if there is any other way, let's take that way. Nevertheless, your will be done. Jesus surrendered his life into the Father's hands And the Lord raised him up from the dead, never to see decay. And when we put our trust in Jesus, he gives us the faith to stand, to stand. And I don't know what you're in. I don't know what you're wrestling with. I don't know what your how long, O Lord, is. But he's giving you strength and power right now to stand. And I promise you, I promise you, as Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, your future is good. Do you believe that this morning? Can we stand together and prepare our hearts for communion? This is the first Sunday in Lent. Lent is the season in the church calendar when what we do is we examine all of the places in our lives where our lives, our faith, our hearts are out of step with the truth of who God is. And so there's no more appropriate thing for us to do this morning in this moment than to take stock of the many ways in which we haven't put our confidence in God. And so, Lord, that's what we're doing. God, we're so sorry. You have been nothing but good to us every day of our lives and every step of the way, and yet we have doubted you. Would you forgive our unbelief? And would you heal our unbelief? Would you pick up our hearts again? Would you make us confident in you again? Would you make us confident with the confidence of Jesus Christ? Do that in us. Spirit of God, we welcome you. And we make this our prayer before you this morning. 
we say, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this morning, the scripture declares to us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This morning, the spirit of the living God is among us to make new creations out of us, to help us put our confidence in God one more time. And if you believe that, and if you can agree with that this morning, would you give God praise? Would you lift up a shout this morning? We say hallelujah. Now we're going to respond with this song of worship and Pastor Colin's going to lead us to the table. Let's sing together.
you respond the Lord be with you lift up your hearts let us give thanks and praise to the Lord our God would you do that right now would you lift up your heart to the Lord and give him thanks for what he has done thank you Jesus God we thank you for being at work in our spirits God for being at work in the timing God that doesn't make sense God for being sovereign through the difficult God we thank you God for the hardship we say thank you the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took bread when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me would you break the bread together God thank you for this this bread, your body that was broken for us. We receive this with thankfulness, acknowledging your faithfulness, acknowledging the promise, Lord, that you will come again. My friends, would you take and eat? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this 
cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so by drinking this cup, we acknowledge that God will come again. God, thank you for your victory. Would you take and drink together? God, thank you. We give you thanks and praise for you are worthy. God, we respond this morning with hearts of worship, praising you for your faithfulness. Let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him just drink in his presence. Yield your life again to the Lord who reigns over all things and even your life. Family of God, open your hands like this. If you're watching online, wherever you are, in your dorm room, your apartment, open your hands like this. Receive this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. And may he grant you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come forward. Dave and Robin Miller and team, if you're um, here this morning and need prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. Remember to see us in Connect Central. If you're new, we got a gift for you. Sign up for children's ministry. Help out with Nueva Vida. And I don't think I have anything else to say. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next week.